0: food bloggers. Hi, how are you today? Thank you so much for tuning in to the Eat Blog Talk podcast. This is the place for food bloggers to get information and inspiration to accelerate your blog's growth and ultimately help you to achieve your freedom, whether that's financial, personal, or professional. I'm Megan Porta, and I've been a food blogger for over 12 years. I understand how isolating food blogging can be at times. I'm on a mission to motivate, inspire, and most importantly, let each and every food blogger, including you, know that you are heard and supported. One of the things I love so much about this podcast and being able to talk to so many different people is that I can talk about the same topic to multiple people and get a different perspective, get different information, get different value. I pulled so much value out of this conversation with Candace Ward from Eat More Cake by Candace. She talks about how to convert 75% of cold pitches to closed opportunities. Now this can refer to working with brands. I know a lot of you work with brands currently or want to work with brands, but it can also apply to if, you know, getting clients of your own if you want to branch out into coaching or something along those lines. The information on this topic that Candace provides is super valuable and some of it very novel to this podcast. I really hope you love this as much as I do. It is episode number 436, sponsored by Rank IQ. Hey, awesome food bloggers. Before we dig into this episode, I have a really quick favor to ask you go to your favorite podcast player, go to eBlog Talk, scroll down to the bottom where you see the ratings and review section. Leave blog talk a five-star rating if you love this podcast and leave a great review. This will only benefit this podcast. It adds value. And I so very much appreciate your efforts with this. Thank you so much for doing this. Okay, now on to the episode. Candace is the founder of Eat More Cake Dessert Blog, food photographer, educator, and sales expert. Candace spent over a decade in corporate sales and translated that experience to help other food content creators monetize and scale their business. She has coached hundreds of food content creators inside her business course, The Competent Pitch Program. She is passionate about helping other food bloggers reach their full potential. Candace, so great to have you on eBlog Talk. Welcome. How are you today? Thanks, Megan. I'm excited to be here. I'm doing well. Good. Yes, I'm excited to talk about your sales process that converts cold pitches to closed opportunities. But first, we are all dying to know if you have a fun fact to share about yourself.
1: I have a lot of fun facts. (laughs) I will say the fun fact is I just got back from Iceland with my husband, which was incredible. And I am an avid traveler. So studied abroad in Spain in college, which led to my love for travel. So I have traveled to probably
0: like 30 countries. (laughs) So yeah, that's my fun fact. So what was your key takeaway from Iceland? What was like a favorite thing?
1: everything the lifestyle it's just beautiful I and mean, you go and you just explore the outdoors and the it's just a beautiful country it's like green it's the land of fire and ice so just really majestic if you're wanting an outdoorsy mm. trip i would highly
0: recommend going to iceland we loved it i've heard so many great things about it over the years it's on my list yes. so yes <laughs> cool Okay. So you have this approach that you use for working with brands and other sales. Uh, but first, I kind of want to ask more about your blog just to get started to kick off the conversation. So I know your blog is Eat More Cakes by Candice. Would you mind just sharing a little bit about your blog?
1: Yes, absolutely. I started my blog about six years ago. I was actually baking wedding cakes in this local Seattle market. And I decided to document my baking journey by starting a blog. So it's primarily a dessert blog. It's not just cakes, but I really specialize in in mostly desserts. So I have continued to work on the blog, although my business has taken several different directions since then. And I've worked with a lot of different brands in various capacities. So yeah, so I specialize in desserts and and I'm all about helping my audience find little joys in every day, especially through baking.
0: Oh, amazing. I love that. And you mentioned working with brands. So you have done that quite a bit. And there are so many food bloggers listening right now who either are working with brands or they want to be working with brands. It's on their list. Maybe it's a little bit intimidating to work with brands. As you know, it can be like, oh, getting over that just fear of talking to them and getting, you know, getting the sponsorship and getting the sales and all of that. So, yeah, let's just start there. Like, What would you say to people who are feeling that fear and just like can't get past that part of it?
1: Yeah, I understand that fear. And I just want to say I've spent over a decade in sales, corporate sales, and I still had the same fear when I started mm-hmm. as a food blogger. I mean, it doesn't It doesn't go away. I think we can all resonate with the fact that it's scary to reach out to brands, that fear of rejection, not knowing what to say or looking prepared or professional. And the thing that I like to remind people of is this industry is still relatively new and it's always evolving. There's no one person who's in this industry that is like, knows exactly what to do. We're all learning as we go. And every interaction with a brand is honestly very different. And so I have just relied on my sales experience to create process and workflow and, you know, creating ways to pitch in an effective message so that brands are excited, you know, to work with you. But I've had, you know, bad experiences with brands and it's fine. You learn from it. And honestly, the only way to start working with brands is to put yourself out there and to try knowing that, yes, there might be instances where it doesn't go as planned. And then there might be some that you find are dream clients of yours. And I'll give you an example. When I first started my very first brand deal, I had less than 5,000 followers. My blog was not monetized. I was brand new. I had just learned food photography like three months before. And just by simply reaching out to this brand on Instagram, I was able to secure a partnership with a national company. And that was my first partnership. And we ended up working together for a year and it was not my best work, but it was just because I went, put myself out there and made the ask and approached the brand. So you never know what is on the other side, if you just try. So
0: that would be my best
1: words of advice
0: it is easy to not do it because, you know, we're food bloggers. We tend to get into this job for the creativity and the cooking and baking and all of the quote, fun things and creative things. And then when it comes to actually putting ourselves in front of humans and and like selling ourselves, basically, it can be so intimidating. So I know a lot of food bloggers who just don't get to the point where they're even trying, which mm-hmm. I get because it's scary. It's hard but you're just saying like, just do it. Just put yourself in that position where you're at least trying.
1: Yes, absolutely. Because honestly, there's a lot of like the way I think about it is if you look at all the different ways we can market our business, pitching is a form of email marketing and email marketing is one of the most effective ways to get in front of your ideal customer. So if you're not pitching or you're not utilizing email marketing in some capacity, you're leaving money on the table that's, that really could be an easy thing to convert and bring in an additional revenue stream. You know, if you're in that stage where you're trying to monetize your blog or even if you're monetizing and you just don't want to rely on that ad revenue, it's just a really simple way to build consistent income.
0: Yeah. Okay. So you have kind of a sales process that you've worked through. I know you have a course that goes through some more details, but what is a sales process?
1: Yeah. So A sales process, or if you even want to call it a booking process, it's really just a step, a set of repeatable steps that can be replicated with each client to take them through the early stages of awareness of who you are or your product or your service, all the way through this funnel to turn them into a paying client so that I can understand you know, if we're stuck, if the if the brand is not moving along, or maybe they're not responding to an email, or maybe you've hit that negotiation stage and then they've gone dark on you. This is how I navigate all of those like sticky scenarios because I know exactly what to do and when because I use this this step by step sales process.
0: So that stuck. Peace <laughs> is common too, right? Like, we send out an email and we're like, okay, they didn't reply or we're not getting the feedback we wanted. And then I think the typical response is to just kind of shut down and not proceed with anything. Yeah. Yeah. So you have some ideas about how to pick yourself up and keep going. So I'm imagining you have some benefits too of having this process and like seeing it through to the end and finding a sale or finding a partnership or, you know, finding what you're looking for. Are there any other benefits of having this process put together?
1: Uh, Yeah. I mean, it streamlines your workflow and it makes it, it takes out the guesswork of saying, okay, you know, if a brand reaches out to me and they say this, how do I respond? Or how do I send, you know, from here, when do I send my pricing? Or when do I send a proposal? When do I send ideas on how to best work together? So it helps you streamline your workflow so that you can work more efficiently. But it also allows you to dissect if you are getting stuck with brands continuously, or you're hearing the same objection, like we don't have budget or sending your rate card, and then you send them your rate card or media kit, and then they ghost you. If you're continuously seeing the same pattern, then you can go back to your process and say, okay, what part am I getting stuck? Where do I need to refine so that I can, I think of it like I'm leading the potential brand up like a staircase almost because really working with brands is building relationships and that's what selling is. So think of it like you're building a relationship and it's like you're taking them through that process of building a stronger relationship.
0: So if the process is getting stuck right away, like right off the bat, and you're hearing like, sorry, we don't have a budget for this and it's kind of shut down, how would you dissect that?
1: Yeah. So the first step of the sales process is prospecting. And prospecting just simply means deciding which brands you are going to approach and reach out to. And I have a four qualifiers that I teach inside of my course. I also teach it and talk about it a lot on my confident pitch Instagram page, because that's really, really important. is like the first step before you just start, I say like throwing spaghetti at the wall and hoping something sticks, which is like sending blasting out a bunch of pitch emails. That's not really going to necessarily convert. You have to like set yourself up for success. And the best way to do that is to start by at least trying to find brands that are the most likely to have a need for your service. So I have like four qualifiers and this really helps me be like, okay, I'm going to write a list of brands that I want to approach for the month. And this is the way I keep it really short and simple. So maybe I'm going to be reaching out to five brands for a month and I go by you know doing research. And I really try to ask myself a couple of questions. Like, does this brand look like they work with food bloggers or content creators? Does it look like they have a budget? So one way that I decide this is I kind of do research on the company. I look at what their, you know, revenue is. I look on LinkedIn to see if they're in a state of growth. You can actually see if the company, you know, is growing or hiring. That's usually an indication that they're growing. I look to see if they have any new products they've launched. That's also another indicator if they're they're a growing company. So I just look at all of these things and I ask myself, like, does it look like? they would have the budget. And then if, you know, the stars align, I will t- then go to the next step and start the process of reaching out and, and pitching to them. But if you're constantly hearing, we don't have budget, there's a lot of brands that truly don't have budget, but sometimes they say that and they, they do have budget. Then that's, I would kind of go back to that step and be like, okay, maybe I'm not reaching out to the right brands.
0: Hmm. And do you ever find that you're surprised in a good way? So you might research on the back end and see that, you know, maybe they don't have products they've launched or it kind of feels like they don't have a budget, but they do. Does that ever happen?
1: Oh, absolutely. I have that happened to me two years ago with my long term client that I provide freelance photography and recipe development for. So I don't post on my social media, it's not sponsored. They buy the the recipe and the images from me. That's exactly what happened. They're a small local company to my area. And I reached out to them because I eat, my toddler eats their product. And I basically said (laughs) that. And they, their response to me right away was, you know, we don't really have a need for any sponsored work at the, at this moment. So I was able to kind of go back to the drawing board and do a little bit more research and uncover like, Just by looking at their Instagram, you can really decipher and determine and see what a brand is is focused on or maybe what they're lacking in their marketing. And I, I kind of noticed that they didn't really do a lot of sponsored work, but they did have a combination of like really professional styled images and then some lifestyle images. And so I pitched them on me taking lifestyle images for them and also developing recipes. And they came back and said, actually, we are launching our blog. We need recipe development. And I would have never thought this, this client would have the budget that they have. They have been my most lucrative client and I've worked with them for two years. Even this year, their budget has been cut and they still are continuing to make room in their budget for me.
0: Wow.
1: So yeah, that you can always be pleasantly surprised.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> and the research you did benefited you because you kind of knew what they were missing. You knew what their gaps were. Yep. And that allowed you to open the door and have a conversation.
1: Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I had gone to their website and I saw that they didn't have a recipe tab and I mean, if you're a food company and you don't have a recipe at this point, if you don't have recipes on your blog, you are missing out. And that's what I pitched them on. I said, if you want traffic to your website, (laughs) we all know SEO, right? You need to get recipes on your website. So that was the conversation I shifted it to because at, at the initial conversation and pitch, the doors had kind of been closed because they said they didn't have a need for sponsored work. And I think brands get conditioned just like we do to think, that's the only way we can work together. So it's about finding new ways that you can you can help and serve them.
0: Okay, so prospecting is first finding those right brands. Is there anything else about that before we move on to one of your other steps? I think just no
1: I mean just to your point of being pleasantly surprised, like prospecting is we can only do so much guesswork before we actually reach out to them. So just knowing that the best way to set yourself up for success with prospecting is to do a couple of things, like have a list of dream brands that you want to reach out to. And I always say they shouldn't be all be these large companies. They should also be small to mid-sized companies because their marketing strategies are typically very different. And I actually find that the more lucrative Sponsored work can be with the smaller companies because they are they care more about like brand consistency, increasing brand awareness. So they're actually typically going to want to work with fewer food bloggers and food influencers. Whereas like larger companies might pay you a little bit less because they're working with a ton. Like they're spreading their budget across a lot more um, influencers. Mm. So just thinking about it that way, like having a combination of size of companies that you're reaching out to. And not closing the doors just because, like you said, maybe on paper they don't appear like they would, you know, fit the mold yeah. or have budget. Just just try. Just reach out anyways.
0: Do you recommend reaching out to kind of a variety of brands across the board, like some that you think maybe have smaller budgets, large budgets, and like somewhere between?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because at the end of the day, you're not really going to know what their budget is until mm-hmm. you start the process of reaching out to them. And having that conversation, I mean, you just really, you really won't know. Like, like I said, you can do all of the research, you know, and try to figure that out as best as possible. But like, even with my freelance client, I never expected that they would have the budget that they do just by looking at them on paper. But yeah, I think to have a sustainable business as a food blogger and food influencer, if you're wanting to work with brands, it is best to work with, you know, approach brands that you think might have different budgets also just to gain experience in working with brands that have different size budgets. And, and you start to figure out like what types of companies, what types of, of brands you want to continue to work with. And then you can kind of refine who you're approaching. And that's really how I started as I did anything and everything. And now I'm like, okay, I will only work for this rate. I'm only going to find brands that align with that. If they don't, then that's okay. They can work with somebody else. And that's okay too, when you're just starting out is, you know, work with brands that have different different budgets and different offerings.
0: Yeah. This is a huge mindset thing because I feel like for myself, I get stuck in thinking like if they're not huge, if they don't have a big budget, they're not going to want to work with me. But that's not the case. Like you're proving that this is <laughs> what you're saying is like that that doesn't have to be the situation. It can be like we can think outside of that. So
1: Absolutely, and actually, the, a lot of the food bloggers that I coach, they come to me because they are frustrated by not seeing any success reaching out to brands. And I often ask them, like, who are you reaching out to? And they always almost give me a list of like the big, the big guys, you know, like the big companies. And I'm like, no, don't start there. They're the, they're going to be the hardest brands to land because, one, there's more red tape to get to the right person. And two, they don't really have like these big companies don't have a need for brand awareness. They already have it. So they're just going to like work with anyone and everyone and try to get free content try to repost. You know, I think we all know that do that. Yeah. <laughs> and so I say go for the small to mid midsize or local companies. It's always easiest to land local companies. I've worked with a ton of local companies because I live in a great food market in Seattle. So start there too. If you live in an area that has local food companies. And maybe they're expanding or opening more brick and mortar locations. That's also an indicator that they
0: might need your help. All right. That's great. I mean, that's super inspiring. I think encouraging for a lot of people listening as well. So prospecting, find those right brands, do an assortment of research on different budgets or what you think are different budgets. And you just never know, be open to, you know, being surprised, right? Yeah, absolutely. What comes next after the prospecting?
1: Yeah. So after the prospecting is actually researching. (laughs) So now that you had a list of your brands and we've kind of already touched on the research a little bit, but some of the things that I'm looking for when I'm researching a brand or some ways that I'm researching them is I'm, you know, it might sound obvious, but going to their website and looking at, you know, one, do they have a recipe tab on their website? you'd be surprised a lot don't. So that could be something that you are could potentially pitch them on. Like I can develop recipes for you and take images or do sponsored work. So that's one. Going to their news tab to see if there's anything that's been featured. Maybe they've been featured somewhere. Maybe they have a new product that they've launched, or maybe they're going through a rebrand. So if they're going through any of those things or even a rebrand, again, another opportunity where they might need um, new photography or just social media assets for social media, video, things of that nature. And then looking on LinkedIn to see, like I said, if they're hiring or if their company is just like what their revenue looks like, are they in a state of growth? The other thing I do is I go to Google and I see what page of Google are they on or who are their competitors that are on the first page of Google because I want to approach the brands that maybe are on like the second or third page of Google. Because again, everybody wants to be on the first page of Google. So that could be a brand that could use our help and use our services. So I will research them and I will go to their Instagram and I will just say, okay, what does their Instagram look like? Are they utilizing it? Are they consistently posting? Does it look like they've worked with, you know, food influencers? And I just kind of like ask myself all of these questions and I look at it through the lens of like, if I worked at this company and I worked in the marketing department, what would I need help with? (laughs) And then that's when I come up with like a few ideas. So we don't necessarily always need to pitch them on specific recipe ideas. I know a lot of people are like, you know, they ask me, should you send actual ideas in your pitch email? And I say it depends because we sometimes assume that they need new recipes, but maybe there's a Mm -hmm. different way that you can help the brand or get your foot in the door. Much like I said, with my freelance client, I pitched them on me taking lifestyle images. And ironically, that's not even the direction we ended up doing or move or working how we didn't work together in that capacity, but I was able to show them that I understood their marketing challenges. And they were like, actually we need a need for, you know, for this. And I just told them like what I could offer So that's really where the research helps you is to understand and look at it from the lens of like, if I'm in marketing, how, what would I need to enhance this brand? And then you're going to pitch them on that idea. And you're not going to pitch them by saying, it looks like you need, you know, XYZ more so you're going to approach them by saying, this is what I offer. I would love to talk through some ideas on how I can do XYZ for you. So it's really simple, although I think we tend to overcomplicate it, but that's what the the research is like so, so important. And a lot of people over just miss the step completely.
0: How do you approach that first pitch email without sounding like you know more than they do? Like, because I feel like that is such a fine balance, like what you're saying, you might have something in mind, but it might be totally different. So I don't know. I just like... Do you know what I'm asking? Like,
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I get asked that often because what's that saying? You don't want to call the baby ugly. or <laughs> Yes. I don't know what that saying is. But <laughs>
0: something like that. Yeah. It's
1: something like that. Yeah. I mean, you're not wanting to say, you know, you're doing this wrong or you're not doing this, you know, like to the best of your ability or whatever. But I basically approach my first pitch email with like, how would you approach a friendship that you're trying to build for the first time? You're not going to go in and like tell them everything about what you do and what you can do for them. The really the goal of the first pitch email is to get them interested. And the way to get them interested is to make an, a, a connection with them first. So the number one mistake I see people do is they open their pitch email with, hi, my name is Candice. I'm a food photographer and a recipe developer. I'm a food blogger. Like immediately... Introducing yourself because we naturally feel like we need to do that, right? If we're emailing someone we've never spoken to, I tell people to reverse that and I say, you need to open the email with something about them that you found through your research. So maybe it's that they launched a new product, or maybe you use their product and you love it. Whatever it is that's going to resonate with them, you want to open your pitch with that because that is going to get them immediately engaged and to continue reading your email. And then you can share a brief introduction about yourself. And then in the third paragraph, that's really where I make some sort of ask or assumption of what they might need. And some of my pitches, not to get too complicated, but some of my pitches are a little bit more generic because I, I might research them and I'm like, I don't really know. And that's okay too. But if I do you have a specific idea? I I just say exactly that. So like going back to my freelance client in that example, when they came back to me and said, we don't have a need for sponsored work, my response to them was, it looks like you guys have some lifestyle images on your Instagram feed. Is that an area that you would like or need more images for? Meaning like I was acknowledging that they had lifestyle images, but not that many. And then I also said, you know, it looks like, you know, I went to your website and it looks like there aren't any recipes on there. I'm also a recipe developer and having recipes on your website can boost SEO and traffic to your, you know, to buy for people to purchase your product. So just a really simple way to say, Hey, I see this, you know, can we talk through how we might be able to work together? Because you want to spark their interest and you want to almost have them see like, okay, I'm, I have a problem and, or I have a, you know, a pain point that I need help with. And then you're showing yourself as the solution. So you don't need mm-hmm. to like go into detail every time. It just really depends on the situation.
0: Hello, my favorite people. Let's chat quick about some ways eBlog Talk can help you ditch the overwhelm, manage your time, feel connected, and prioritize that seemingly never-ending stream of tasks platforms and algorithm changes we're faced with. The eBlogTalk Mastermind program is our signature offering and the best investment you will make in your blogging business. This is a transformative 12-month experience that will help you achieve your goals faster than you ever thought possible. Join the waitlist for 2024 groups. Go to eBlogTalk.com forward slash mastermind to get in on that. If the mastermind program is on your dream board, but you aren't quite ready to make that investment in your business yet, the next perfect step for you might be the Eat Blog Talk Mini Minds. This six-month program is designed to help you achieve your goals and overcome any obstacles that may be holding you back so you can experience the freedoms you're yearning for. Join the waitlist for groups starting in Q4 of 2023 at eatblogtalk.com forward slash And if you are ready to learn, grow, and build relationships in person, join me and a handful of your fellow food bloggers at an upcoming Talk retreat. This is a great opportunity to convene in an intimate setting to learn, collaborate, and connect. These retreats involve mastermind-style peer-to-peer collaboration and are incredibly powerful and fun experiences. Go to EatBlogTalk.com forward slash retreat. To get information about all eatblog Talk services, go to eatblogtalk.com forward slash services, eatblogtalk.com forward slash services. Now back to the episode. So really, you're just kind of sharing your observations about what you've researched and hopefully that hits on a pain point. And they're like, oh, yeah, we need, we need help with this. Okay, anything else about that research process or research piece that you want to mention?
1: No, I think more just a reminder that sometimes we're going to research and just not really have it. Like we might not have that much information after researching them and that's completely fine too. And I always tell people I would suggest if that is the case, then maybe just have in your pitch, like pitch them on maybe a few recipe ideas. Like if you see that they have recipes on their site and that they work with food bloggers, then that would be a great, easy opportunity to say, Hey, here's a few ideas I have for using maybe this one of their particular products, or maybe you have a recipe already that performs well on your website and you could easily incorporate their product or make a slightly different version. Like for example, let's say you have a chocolate chip cookie that is performing, maybe you could slightly modify that chocolate chip cookie recipe and do like extra egg yolk in the chocolate chip cookie. And maybe it's a a chocolate chip company. So you're like slightly modifying a recipe that you know already performs well, and you can show them statistics. Like I have this popular recipe on my website. I have some ways that I think I could incorporate your product into that, knowing that my audience already resonates with that type. So you're showing them like that you there's proof in the pudding, if you will, with and back up to what you're saying. And that's another easy way that you can really spark their interest in potentially working with you.
0: How long do you keep the initial pitch emails? I know it probably varies, but do you have like, you know, like three paragraph max or something like that?
1: No, I I mean, shorter is better. I, I would definitely say my downfall is always like, I am not a very con- like concise person. I I tend to have mine longer, but sometimes the longer ones work well too. So I would say there's no right or wrong. You definitely like, I teach a four email sequence. So there's, you know, a strategy with each email. So like my second email is super short. My first email tends to be a little bit longer and it's usually three paragraphs. So like intro, intro about the brand or some, something to you know, that will resonate with them or build that rapport relationship. Then the second paragraph is going to be introing yourself. And then the third paragraph is going to be like, what is your ask? Like, what are you offering them? What is it it that you're trying to like pitch them on essentially? And then last paragraph will be like your call to action. Like what are the next steps that you're trying to get? And a lot of people will just end with, hope we can work together. (laughs) Okay, thanks. You know, keep it really generic. And I always suggest, which actually this flows into the step three of the sales process, I always suggest to try to schedule a discovery call or a call or just continue the conversation. Maybe you can send questions via email if they don't want to get on a call. So that's kind of my format for my pitches.
0: All right. Pretty straightforward. So yeah, talk about the discovery
1: step. Yeah. So step three is the discovery stage, which simply means whether that's happening via email or on a phone call or in person, if it's with a local company, it simply means it's the opportunity for you to learn more about the brand and to actually uncover where their needs are. Because like I said, with step one and step two, prospecting and research, those are just assumptions we're making based off of what we have, we think we have found. So step three is actually that stage of like, you know, having a conversation with the brand because there's a lot of different ways we can work with brands. And I think as food bloggers, we get kind of like tunnel vision of we can only do sponsored work or, you know, we can only do recipe development, but it's like, well, a lot of us by trade might be food bloggers and love the recipe side, but some of us also love the photography side. So maybe that's an area that you can offer as well. And maybe you don't offer the recipe development for a particular client and they just need new you know, product packaging images. So just like actually getting on a phone call with them. And I'll go back to my example with my freelance client that I've been referencing, because they really fell into like this perfect, you know, scenario of like, what everyone encounters with a brand when they're like, we don't have a need for sponsored work. And then it's like, how do you shift that conversation? And then once you do, what's the next step? So essentially, I was able to shift the conversation to uncover a different need via email. And then I asked to get on a discovery call so that we could really iron out the details of what that would look like for us working together, especially because this wasn't sponsor a sponsor type work. It was freelance. And I feel like freelance jobs can drastically range with deliverables and just expectations. So I asked to get on a discovery call or just you know a call to align on what those deliverables would be. And the most important question you can ask a brand in the discovery phase is like, what is your current marketing challenges or what are your current marketing goals? And then just stop and listen, because they will tell you a lot of information about what the brand needs. And so, yeah, trying to get them on a phone call. And that's what I always end my pitch with. That's the call to action that I end my pitch with.
0: That's gold. You're straight up asking like, what, what are your pain points? What do you need? And then based on their response, you kind of know how to deliver.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And once you have that information, this is the the part of selling that is really important. It's selling is nothing more than us aligning. It's, it's aligning your services with the client, the your ideal client at the right time. So, meaning they have to have a need at the time that you're approaching them. So, that's actually one of my qualifiers, at, you know, going back to like when you're trying to find the right brands to work with is like they have to have a need, obviously, right? But we don't really know what that need is until we really uncover that through the discovery phase. And like I said, this doesn't have to be done on the phone. It's always best done on the phone because you can obviously establish better rapport and connection with the brand, which will increase the likelihood of that converting to a signed contract. But if it has to be done via email, that's fine too. I actually have a brand questionnaire that I've created, which is like pretty much the questions I would ask on a phone call, but I ask them in a brand questionnaire and you can send it as like a PDF or Google Forms. I use HoneyBook to deliver mine. So it's just really seamless. It's on brand and it's an easy, like it sends them a link and then they easily just fill out the questionnaire online. And I do this a lot for sponsored work because for sponsored work, sometimes they're like, we don't need, we don't want to get on the phone. Like the deliverables are the same, you know, typical, you know, couple of images, maybe a real, like, you know, you can ask about usage rights and if it's shared or if they're buying the, the rights outright. I mean, all of these will determine your pricing. And so I have all of those questions outlined that I sometimes will just send via email if they refuse to get on a call and it can be just as effective.
0: Hmm. Okay, so you send whether they get on a call or not, or when they decline the call, that's when you send the questionnaire?
1: Yes, so I only send the questionnaire if I don't get on a call with somebody. So, sending the questionnaire is another way that you can qualify the brand to see how interested they are. If the brand does not fill out your questionnaire, I would not continue to pursue the brand. In okay. my opinion, if a brand is not motivated enough to answer the questions that you're sending them, to understand how you can best work together, then they're either going to be a brand that's just price shopping or they have lower budgets or they just don't value this like influencer work and they're just like, you know, we're just trying to find maybe an influencer within a set budget range. To me personally, that's not my ideal client. So if they don't fill it out, I know to move on. If they're serious and they're actually they take they take the their role seriously and they are interested in working together. They will fill out the questionnaire, and I almost always have them. Like, I've never had an issue. There's been maybe a couple of brands that don't fill it out, but I will say make it as easy as possible for them to figure out. So it's only maybe like seven questions, but it's best to be done on like a Google form or something that they can just easily click on rather than I wouldn't suggest copying and pasting the questions in an email because then they have to actually type out the responses. I just have them as like check boxes. So I'll have the, one of the questions, for example, is, you know, what is your budget? And instead of having it like a blank open box uh, that they have to fill out, because often brands don't have like a very specific number. I have ranges on there. So it's like, you know, under a thousand, and then they can click the box if it's under a thousand, or maybe it's one to 5,000, they'll click that box. So then you can get some sort of idea. Are they going to fall within, you know, my like the minimum that I would charge? Like, great. Now I know. Are they going to be under that? Are they going to be within my range? And then you can decipher if they're a brand that you want to continue pursuing.
0: What are some other questions? I'm curious.
1: So I always ask, like, what is what are your marketing goals or like, what is your, what are your campaign goals? And then I'll ask, what are the key performance indicators that are important to you? And that simply means what are they tracking? What's important to them? You can, they usually will say engagement or reach or reaching, you know, this type of audience. So then you can understand like, okay, if that's what is important to them, then I need to come up with, you know, let's say it's a sponsored post. I need to come up with a recipe that I know is going, that my audience is going to resonate to that's going to allow us to hit those KPIs that they need to hit in order for it to be considered a successful campaign. I ask about budget. I ask about, you know, what are the deliverables and I'll like have again, another checkbox. Like, is this for freelance photography? Is this a sponsored post? Do they want a blog post included in that? Do they need stories? Just kind of outlining all the potential ways that we could work together and then when they check the box I'm like okay great now I can go build a proposal with my pricing that is going to be accurate based on the on what they gave me their their needs are I'll ask about timeline you know when they need this by frequency like is this a one time recipe that I'm developing is it going to be ongoing So really just all the questions that you would need to ask in order for you to feel really confident in providing pricing to them.
0: Okay. And then you build a proposal after that and send it or how do you, yeah, how do you approach? Yeah. yeah.
1: So once they they send me, and that's actually how I set it up when I, before I send over the questionnaire, that's exactly how I set it up to them. So let's say they don't want to get on the phone with you. I say, that's fine. Would you mind filling out this brief questionnaire I have? This is going to help me understand your, your needs in more detail so that I can make the best recommendation for, you know, my services to align with, with your current needs and your budget so that you're telling them, like, I'm not just having you fill out this questionnaire because, you know, I'm trying to get information from you, but I'm sending this to you because it's going to allow us to, you know, best work together. And then from there, and then I say, from there, I can provide the most accurate, you know, proposal or rates, depending on what your needs and budget is. So they usually have no problem filling out the questionnaire. And then from there, again, I do this inside of HoneyBook, I can just go and build out a proposal. And I usually include pricing. And then, you know, if you've worked with brands, or maybe if you have like top performing recipes, I always put some sort of proof on there. Like if you've worked with a brand, you know, did that campaign do well? What are the stats there? So kind of like a media kit, but I'll extract a little bit more like specific examples that would go with that brand. I mean, you always want to customize everything. I don't send the same proposal to, you know, two clients. Like they all look vastly different. Because you want to show them that you can create content that's going to resonate with not only your audience, but also with their audience. So even like sharing examples, if you've created, you know, work for similar types of companies or, you know, something that's performed well, like maybe it's performed well on Pinterest. I mean, you know, there's so many different areas that we can pull data from. And I always include that on the proposal because you're essentially making a stronger business case to the brand of why they should hire you and it's more effective to do that when you you know include pricing they're going to be more likely to want to hire you if they're seeing pricing presented with value.
0: This is so good. All right, so I have one question about the being just being ghosted. Like if you send out a pitch, you think it's awesome, you think the brand is a great fit, you've done your prospecting and you just don't hear anything, how often do you repeat that and Like at what point do you go back and ask for another email?
1: Yeah. So you mean like getting ghosted after reaching out and they like not responding at all or getting ghosted after you've been communicating?
0: Oh, I guess both. But I was, yeah, like initially, like if you send, you just think it's a great fit, you send out an initial pitch and you don't hear anything. I assume you send a follow-up. And how often do you do that?
1: Oh, yes. So I teach a four email sequence and I suggest following up once a week for four weeks. So essentially, like if you're sending, you know, my pitching workflow or process would be if you're sending a list of like, let's say 10 brands, you know, you get their contact information, you do the research, you send the pitch off, then I would follow up with them the following, like, let's say you send it on a Tuesday, I would say the next Tuesday, you follow up with all of them again and then you know repeat for for 3 weeks for a total of 4 and if i don't get a response by the fourth email i usually just make a note like didn't get a response and I will c- circle back in like 3 months so like once a quarter because a couple of things could be happening if they're not responding you could have the wrong contact the timing just might not be right like they might be in the middle of a launch and just they cannot even wrap their brains around responding to you and so I don't take a no response as a no. It's just like they aren't a qualified brand at that time. Like timing has to align, budget has to align, and they have to have a need when you're reaching out to them. And then obviously you have to be reaching out to the right person. So that's what I would do there. If a brand is ghosting you after they respond to your pitch email, again, it could. there's a lot of different reasons why they could be ghosting. I, what I most often see with happen is you send a pitch email to a brand, they respond to you and they say, can you send me your media kit and your rate sheet? And then you do that. And then they ghost. And that's what I teach people not to do. So it's almost like a reframe of like our brain of not just giving them what they're asking for because they're asking for it, but holding your own process accountable. So what I mean by that is if they ask me, to send a media kit and a rate card. I don't. I say to them, you know, here's what my process is. I would love to get some additional information before sending over my rates because I need to understand how we are going to work together. My rates are customizable, meaning I really make it customized or I customize it to your specific needs and your budget. And that's, I have a whole thing that I talk about on the, over on the Confident Pitch about this because it's usually if we're sending our rates and our media kit before we even know what they need from us, there's a huge disconnect between your value and if they're willing to pay for that. So I always tell people like, if you're getting ghosted there, it's because you're sending your rates too soon. You want to withhold that information until you've gotten to the discovery phase. And this is like my number one tip because it's how I convert Legit 70, you know, I convert 75% of my pitches to paying clients. Like I only pitch about five brands a month because I can convert more of them, but just by following the sales process, it allows me to ensure that I'm giving my rates to the brand at the right time after I've uncovered a need from them first.
0: Oh, that's amazing. You make it sound so easy, Candice. Like, yeah, I could totally go do this today. (laughs) I've never had that feeling before about pitching. I have two random questions. Is there a good day of the week that you know brands typically reply or is it kind of just hit or miss?
1: Yeah. Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday are the best days to send a pitch. Mondays and Fridays are not very effective, so I always teach and suggest Tuesday, Wednesdays, or Thursdays. I would even say like Tuesdays and Wednesdays are better to send your emails because then they might respond by Thursday. People just aren't really looking emails or wanting to respond on Mondays and Fridays. It's kind of like a start of the week and catch all at the end yeah. of the yeah. week, so yeah,
0: I get it. I'm the same way and then subject line do you have a magic subject line?
1: Ooh, I don't. I keep it. Really simple. If it's like, let's say you're sending a brand, you know, we're we're in the summer, we're into summer content. Let's say you're pitching a brand. Well, actually, two things. I always suggest pitching one quarter in advance. So what I mean by that is, like, we're in the summer. That doesn't mean that there's no brands out there that need summer content, but you really shouldn't be pitching for fall content at this point. Again, there might be a brand last minute that needs summer content, but let's say you're sending them an idea for. A specific, you know, recipes for a specific season, your subject line could say something like five fall recipe ideas for whatever brand and just keep it that, you know, keep it simple or like five fall recipes or, you know, your brand plus this brand working together on fall recipes. I tried it. You don't want it to be spammy because it, your email will go into spam. So that's the fine line of like, you know, I'm not an email marketing expert. (laughs) I'm a pitching (laughs) expert. So like I test different things to see what works, but you kind of want to just keep it simple. I think I've heard like exclamation marks or emojis or questions, you know, things like that can result in going to spam. So just keeping it really simple and short, not overthinking it and just testing different things to see what works.
0: This has been amazing. I've, taken so many notes. You have no idea. So thank you for all of this. Is there anything we've missed that you feel like we should touch on before we start saying goodbye, Candice? I don't
1: think so. I mean, there's so much I could go, I could talk about on this topic. And, you know, just going back to what you said, like I make it sound easy. Like that is my number one goal when I am teaching or, you know, when I'm coaching, I want people to feel like they can have the confidence to just approach brands because it, does start with a mindset shift. And it does start with us having the confidence to say, I can do it. I bring value to the table. Brands want to work with me. Brands need my services. So like my last bit of advice would be, if you're scared and intimidated to work with brands, we all are. There's not one single person that is not, including myself, who has done sales. I I have been in, I've worked for Fortune 500 companies where I literally sat in a corporate office and made, had a headphone on and made thousands of cold calls. Awful. It's not a job I would recommend pretty Oh anyone. gosh, that sounds awful. It's awful. And my point is I have done it for so many years and it still scares me to sell, but it gets easier the more that you do it it's like a skill right just like becoming a food blogger and developing recipes and taking images and video it's a skill that you're learning so pitching and selling yourself is a skill that just it's a it's a muscle that needs to be flexed constantly in order for it to feel second nature so the more consistent you can be and just put yourself out there and learn from every interaction that you have with a brand you will find success and you will find opportunities. There's a lot of companies out there. So just keep trying and yeah, just want like, I want people to feel encouraged more than anything.
0: I definitely think this has been an encouraging conversation. So thank you. We so appreciate you Candice and all of the value you've shared today. Thanks for being a guest on eFlog Talk. It's been so fun to chat with you. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Do you have either a favorite quote or words of inspiration to leave us with today?
1: I have so many, but I think this one (laughs) makes the most sense. Okay. The important thing is to take a chance. Once you find something you love to do, be the best at doing it. The greatest failure is not, is to not try. And that is by Debbie
0: Fields, the founder of Mrs. Field's Cookies. Oh, how perfect that you threw some cookies in there. (laughs) Oh, I love that. And a great quote to end on. We'll put together a show notes page for you, Candace. So if anyone wants to go look at those, you can go to eatblogtalk.com forward slash eat more cake. And I know that you want to share a couple of things. Why don't you tell us where we can find you? And then I know that you have like a freebie, correct? That you would love to to offer? Absolutely. Yeah. So I would suggest, I mean, I have two pages.
1: My blog is Eat More Cake by Candice or my Instagram for that. And the other place is the Confident Pitch. So that is where I give all my business tips. I have a lot of video and free content that you can digest there as well as I have a course called the Confident Pitch Program where I walk you through my entire pitching process and my step-by-step sales process through negotiations and contracts and every tool that you would possibly need in order to really feel confident and set yourself up for success when working with brands. I even just added actually we just went through a launch last week and I added the post sales process. So like what happens after a brand says yes? you know like how do you send images and collect payment and who s- sends the contract and all of that. So that's in there as well. And yeah, you can find me at the confident pitch. send me a DM anytime I'm very willing to have conversations with people and help whenever possible. And then I also offer one-on-one coaching, which I'm resuming in September. I will not be doing that through the summer months. So if anyone needs one-on-one help.
0: Amazing. Well, thank you again so much for being here, Candace. And thank you for listening today, food bloggers. I will see you in the next episode. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Eat Blog Talk. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd be so grateful if you posted it to your social media feed and stories.